0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Why does God send good people to hell? Is it really fair for God to condemn to hell those who've never had an opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ? Well, the story of Cornelius answers that question
1: with three propositional truths. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, the reality of hell often contradicts our human understanding of good and evil. Sure, some people have acted so wickedly that they clearly deserve their just rewards. But what about everybody else? Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress shares what the Bible teaches about who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to
0: Victory. Let me begin today with a sobering question. Why does God send good people to hell? Today, I'm devoting the entire program to this relevant question. It's a question that has stumped theologians for generations, and I believe the answer is unveiled in the book of Acts, chapter 10. We'll get to that in just a moment. But first, it's important to remind you that the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge will expire very soon. July 4th is the deadline, and I don't want you to miss out on this opportunity to maximize your gift with this amazing $500,000 matching challenge. Every dollar that's given to Pathway to Victory on or before July 4th will be multiplied by two. Now, what this means is your gift today of $100 will be matched, making your gift a total of $200. A $500 gift will be matched until it becomes $1,000. A $5,000 gift would become $10,000. You choose the amount, and whatever it is, it will be matched between now and July 4th. Please be ready to take down our contact information at the end of today's program so that your generous gift to Pathway to Victory is doubled. Now, to express my thanks for your gift today, I'm prepared to send you my brand new book called Unstoppable Power. It's based on Acts chapters 1 through 12. In my new book, I'm giving you an up-close and personal view of the first-century Christians. Our brothers and sisters in Christ endured intense persecution from Rome and from the Pharisees, but through the resilience of these believers, you and I gained courage and boldness. David and I will give more details about the matching challenge and my new book later on. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 10 as we consider why God sends good people to hell. There are many sobering truths about hell. It's a place of indescribable pain, Jesus said, of intense loneliness. It is an eternal destination. No one ever leaves there. Once you're in hell, you're there forever and ever and ever. But I suppose of all the most disturbing truths about hell, this is the one that bothers me the most. The Bible teaches that hell is not only filled with evil people. Hell is going to be populated by good people, even religious people. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, verse 22. He said, for on that day, the judgment day, many people will come to me, and they will say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform miracles? And I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. We understand why God would send evil people, murderers, drug dealers, child molesters. We understand why God would send those people to hell, but why does God send good people to hell? The answer is because nobody is good enough. Nobody can be in heaven without the forgiveness that is available only through Jesus Christ, no matter how good they are. And that's the truth we're going to see illustrated in our passage today. We've come to a milestone event in our study of the book of Acts. The conversion of the first Gentile, who wasn't a bad man, he was a good man. As we look at that story, we discover Why it is that God sends good people to hell? If you have your Bibles turn to Acts chapter ten, the story of the conversion of Cornelius, have you ever had people ask you, how is it that people who have never heard about Jesus Christ can be saved? If Jesus is the only way to salvation, what about the hundreds of millions, yes, even the billions of people on this planet who have never heard about Jesus? Is it really fair for God to condemn to hell those who've never had an opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ? Well, the story of Cornelius answers that question with three propositional truths. First of all, as we're going to see, everyone has a knowledge of God. There's a knowledge of God that is open to anybody who has never heard a preacher, missionary, or ever read a Bible. Everyone can know that there is a God. That's what we see beginning in verse 1. Now, there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. The Caesarea Luke is talking about here is Caesarea Maritima, We call it Caesarea by the Sea. Not Caesarea Philippi, but Caesarea by the Sea. Many of us have been there numerous times. It's on the Mediterranean coast. It was a place where Pontius Pilate had his year-round residence. There's been discovered there the Pilate Stone that confirms Pontius Pilate was governor when Jesus was alive. Uh, It was also a military headquarters for the Roman occupational force. The Romans had their military headquarters at Caesarea. Now, you need to understand something about the Roman military. It was divided into what's called legions. A legion was a group of 6,000 soldiers. Now, a legion was divided into 10 cohorts. A cohort was 600, a division of 600 Roman soldiers. And the cohort was in turn divided into six parts of a hundred each, and there would be a centurion who would look over those hundred soldiers. So there were six centurions in a cohort, and there were 10 cohorts in a Roman centurion. Now, our character and focus today is a man named Cornelius. He had a place of responsibility. He was a centurion, and he was a Gentile. In fact, he was a Gentile who was occupying Israel. That's why Israel hated the Romans. They hated the Gentiles. They were occupying their country. But more important than his occupation was his religious condition. Notice what Luke says about Cornelius, verse 2. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all of his household. And he gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Notice three things Luke says about Cornelius. First of all, he feared the true God. He wasn't like other Romans who were polytheistic. They worship many gods. No, Cornelius worshiped the true God, the God of Israel. He is what the Jews called a God-fearer. Now, this will help you understand scripture. You know, in the Jewish mind, there were the Jews. They were God's chosen people. The next rung down the ladder from them were the proselytes. These were Gentiles who converted to Judaism. By the way, I think the Ethiopian court official, we saw in Acts 8, he was a proselyte. He was a Gentile, but he had converted to Judaism. That's why he was going to Jerusalem to worship. He was a Jewish convert. Underneath the proselytes were what were called God-fearers, and that was Cornelius. He wasn't a Jew. He hadn't converted to Judaism, but he worshiped the God of Israel. So, he feared the true God. Secondly, the Bible says he prayed and gave money to God. Luke says he prayed not just once in a while, but he prayed to God continually, and he even gave money to the poor, which in Scripture, the Old Testament, meant he gave money to God. And thirdly, Cornelius sought to know God personally. Now, we're not told this explicitly in Luke's passage here in Acts, but it's very evident, as we'll see in just a moment, that what he was praying to God continually about was a deeper knowledge of God, a personal relationship with God. And we know by the way God answered his prayers. Now, look at this, verse three. And at about the ninth hour, that would be 3 p.m. on our clock, the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius, while he was praying, clearly saw a vision, an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being alarmed, he said, what is it, Lord? He recognized this was God. And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. That is, I'm answering your prayer. And this is how I'm going to do it. Now dispatch some men to Joppa, and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. And he's staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Have you ever heard it said, God can't answer the prayers of a non-Christian? God only answers the prayer of Christians? That is absolutely false. God can hear any prayer he wants to. He can answer any prayer he wants to. That's true. Those of us who are related to God by faith as children of God, he treats us differently, children of God rather than enemies of God. But don't think God can't answer the prayer of a non-Christian. He can, especially the prayer of a non-Christian who wants to know the true God. Cornelius was praying to know God, and God answered and said, this is what I'm going to do. I want you to send some men to go fetch this man named Simon Peter, who's living at the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, the question comes, how did Cornelius come to know the true God? We're not told how he came to know the true God. Perhaps one night while he was on military duty, he looked up into the Mediterranean sky and he saw all the stars, and he came to the understanding that he didn't create those. There was a God in heaven who was greater than he was, and he wanted to know that God. You know, we call that in theology natural revelation. Natural revelation is information that is available to everybody in the world today without reading a Bible or hearing a preacher. It's what every person can know about God. It's what nature reveals about God. That's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 about why everybody's without excuse for rejecting the gospel. He said in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, created, so that they are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse for not coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because everybody can know that there is a God by looking at nature. We call that natural revelation. The late Charles Ryrie, who was a member of our church, said natural revelation is not enough to save a person, but it is enough if rejected to condemn a person. You can't be saved by saying, I think somebody created the stars. But if you reject that knowledge, then God is under no obligation to send you further information about himself. And that's why Paul says people are without excuse if they reject natural revelation. Cornelius believed in the existence of God. And as we'll see in a moment, God honored that belief and his desire to know more. You know, I talked a few weeks ago when we were in Acts 9 about the conversion of Charles Coulson, who was uh, Richard Nixon's hatchet man in the White House. I said it was the greatest conversion of my lifetime. It was as dramatic as the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. But in his book, Born Again, Charles Colson says, even though he came to faith in the mid-1970s, that wasn't the first time he believed in God. He writes about 20 years earlier in 1954, being in the military, And being on a ship, a military ship, and one night he looked up into the sky and he said, that night I suddenly became as certain as I ever had been about God. I was convinced that God ruled over the universe, that to him there were no mysteries, that he somehow kept it all miraculously in order. And in my own fumbling way, I prayed, knowing that he was there questioning only whether he had time to hear me. Was Charles Coulson converted at that moment? No, but he believed that there was a God. And in time, God sent him more revelation through an attorney who led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And that leads to a second truth that we find in this passage. Yes, everyone has a knowledge about God. And secondly, anyone who desires further revelation about God will receive it. We don't know what Cornelius said to God, but we know how God responded to it. He told Cornelius to send his men to go get Simon Peter from Joppa. Look at verse 9 of chapter 10. And on the next day, as they were on their way, that is the men from Cornelius's house, and they were approaching Joppa where Peter was, at the same time, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That would have been noon. You know what is so neat is when God is working in your life, he's also working in somebody else's life who's going to impact your life. Isn't that interesting? That's what he's doing here. Here, God is working in Cornelius' life, but now he begins to work in Peter's life since he's going to be the instrument of the gospel. Now, remember, he was staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, a tanner is somebody who would kill animals and use their hide for other products, you know, and so forth. And to the Jews, that was a detestable occupation because Jews weren't supposed to touch the dead bodies of animals. Uh, It was prohibited. But Simon Peter was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. And I'm sure as he went up to the rooftop to pray, as he walked by Simon the Tanner, he thought to himself, I sure am glad I'm more holy than he is. Touching these dead animals, what a disgusting occupation. And so he goes up in a spirit of self-righteousness to pray. And he's kneeling on the rooftop praying when he suddenly gets hungry. Have you ever gotten hungry when you're praying before? (laughs) Well, that's what Peter uh, had happened to him. And he fell into a trance. And in that trance, he saw a vision, the Bible says, of a sheet coming down from heaven filled with all kinds of animals, not just clean animals, but those that were forbidden by the Old Testament. And a voice from heaven said to Peter, Peter, kill these animals and eat. You're hungry, eat. And Peter said to the voice from heaven, Lord, have you forgotten who you're talking to? I am a holy man. I would never eat of those animals. Why don't you remember what you wrote in your own law, Leviticus 11, that we're not supposed to eat those animals? And so the Bible says in verse 15 again the voice came to him saying, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Yes, the Old Testament said you're not to eat of these animals, but guess what, Peter? We're not under the Old Testament any longer. There is a new covenant, a new agreement, a new testament that is based on grace, not on dietary restrictions. And we're no longer under those Old Testament rules. In fact, in Colossians 2.16, Paul said, therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festivals or the new moon or a Sabbath day. He goes on to say, these things were a shadow of Jesus Christ, who is the substance and once we add the substance, we don't need the shadows any longer. You know, one thing I just don't understand are these Christians who think somehow they're being more spiritual than other people by going back and placing themselves under the Jewish law. They wanna keep the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament. They wanna celebrate the holidays, the Jewish holidays. Rubbish, those things are over they're over. They have no authority over the life of a Christian. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of those things. Why would you willingly put yourself under those restrictions? And that's what this uh, voice from heaven was saying to Peter. Now that the substance has come, the shadow is no longer needed. Now, while Peter was reflecting on this vision and what it could possibly mean, you see, he didn't know yet what was about to happen. He just knew God was saying to him, don't declare unclean what God has now declared clean. When suddenly he hears downstairs a knock at the door. And it's the people from Cornelius' house who want to find Simon Peter. And so they inquire if he's living there. And Simon the Tanner says, yes. And that leads to the second truth. No one is saved apart from a personal faith in Jesus in Acts 10, these men said, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well-spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, he was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, Peter, to come to his house and to hear a message from you. No one is saved from a part of a personal faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you know, if you were to ask the average person on the street or even in the church, do you think somebody who believes in God, prays to him regularly, gives money to poor people, do you think that person is going to heaven? Most people on the street and even in the church would say, yes. Somebody who believes in the one true God, prays to him regularly, wants to know him more intimately, gives money to the poor, well, if that doesn't get you to heaven, what does? Surely such a person is safe. No. No such a person isn't saved, even though they're good and religious. God saw a man, Cornelius, who had a right heart toward him, wanted to know him, but that wasn't enough. And that's why God went to extraordinary means to take Philip out of Samaria and send him on the Gaza road to witness to that Ethiopian court official. And that's why God went to supernatural lengths to put Peter in the life of Cornelius. So they come to get Peter. They tell him what has happened. And Peter agrees that something supernatural is taking place here. So he goes with them to meet with Cornelius and his family. Look at verses 28 and 29. When he arrives at the home of Cornelius, he said to Cornelius and his family and slaves, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet, God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. He put two and two together. That's what that vision from heaven was about. The clean and the unclean. Uh, animals. God was showing to me, I have no right to call unholy what God has cleansed. Verse 29, that is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. So I may ask you, what reason have you sent me? Cornelius, I'm here. God led me here. Now, what can I do for you? And Cornelius said, please preach what God has placed on your heart. Man, any preacher loves to hear that. Just tell us what is on your heart, Peter. And Peter preaches the gospel. We don't have time to look at this sermon in depth. But if you read this sermon beginning in verse 34, it is a sermon about the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the indisputable resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a Christ-centered message. And I want you to notice how he concludes it. Verse 42. And God ordered us, Cornelius, to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one, Jesus, who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and of the dead, of him, Jesus. All the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Underline that. Belief in Jesus results in the forgiveness of sins. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. As followers of Jesus Christ, this is our mission. We are to bear witness that everyone who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful promise. And this gives us direction in life. God has placed us here on earth for this very purpose, to shine the light of his truth to a world that desperately needs redemption. It is, in fact, what Pathway to Victory is all about. We will never back away from telling the world about Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, in making this commitment to you, I'm boldly inviting you to join me in this worthy mission. You can do that today by giving a generous gift to Pathway to Victory. It's the perfect time to do so because of the $500,000 matching challenge that's active right now. Every dollar you give between now and July 4th will be multiplied by two because of the matching challenge, meaning your gift will have twice the impact. Again, the deadline is coming soon, July 4th. Whatever amount you choose to give, I'm going to say thanks by providing my brand new book, an exclusive offer from Pathway to Victory. It's called Unstoppable Power, and it's based on the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts. By reading my book, you'll become equipped to face whatever challenges our culture throws at you. And I can't think of a more important time to bulk up than right now. Please don't allow the time to slip by without taking advantage of this time-limited opportunity. Double the impact of your gift through the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge and receive a copy of my book, Unstoppable Power, as well. Along the way, you're empowering Pathway to Victory to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. Thank you so much for your generosity.
1: David? David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffers called Unstoppable Power. Call 866-999-2965 or visit our website, ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also send you the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Unstoppable Power teaching series. Plus, we'll also send a study guide to use on your own or maybe with a small group. And don't forget, every dollar you give right now will be doubled by our Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. That's until we reach a goal of $500,000. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like. Here's the address, P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223609, 609 Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Wishing you a great weekend. Then join us Monday for part two of the message called Why God Sends Good People to Hell, right here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.